0: Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the Wellness Manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. We are talking about brain injuries related to sports and everyday activities. There are over 2 million concussions that occur each year and probably more because so many go underreported or unreported. And I think this is a really important topic for people to understand and learn more about because so many uh, youth and young adults are playing sports and there are long-term consequences of concussions and other head injuries. So, to prepare for this podcast, I read a book called Love, Zach by Reed Forgrave, and I will occasionally reference the book, but I am very honored and excited to have Zach's mom, Brenda Easter, on our podcast today. Welcome, Brenda. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here to talk to you today about this really important topic. Yeah, so Brenda is the mother of Zach and two other young men, uh, and she lost her son Zach Easter far too early due to uh, sports-related brain injuries. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today with Brenda. And um, Brenda, I just want to say that this is a great book. I think it really honors your son's life, and you know the message that that you want to get across to all people about you know just. The dangers but also the things that we can do to prevent these types of sports related injuries so um, in the book it says you know zach loved football he was zach the football player but tell us more about your son zach what did he love doing what did he live for and a little bit about you and your family as well
1: well thank you um you know it's really hard to share your worst nightmare with the world um when we lost zach um it was shocking beyond belief and it was traumatizing to not just our family but friends and and relatives and people around the world and um he was probably the youngest person diagnosed with this disease um which we'll talk about very soon called CTE you know as a mom of three very active boys and a wife of a college coach um football coach you know um Football was really just ingrated into our lives and our boys were in almost every sport. So concussions were a part of our lives, just as many families across the country and back when they played. And you have to remember, you know, Zach graduated in 2010. So he was encountering many of these concussions you know, when he was early as middle school and in high school, you know, he would have been right around 2008. So we didn't have the information that we have today. And, you know, back then concussions were considered not a big deal.
0: Yeah. I I remember When I was in high school, one of my friends got a concussion and it was kind of a joke. Like, you know, the funny things he said after the concussion, like in a football huddle, like, Hey guys, you want to go get some hot dogs? And everyone thought it was funny, but I mean, his brain wasn't functioning. He was not, um, experiencing, you know, normal, healthy cognitive health, but we all kind of laughed it off. And I'm not saying that people laugh off concussions, but I don't think people understood and still to this day probably understand the extent of their seriousness. Yeah, I agree. You know, when my boys played,
1: um, they were required to sit out 48 hours, mm-hmm. maybe 48 hours, 24, 48 hours is probably yeah. accurate before they returned to play. Um, but what we know today is that's just not enough time to rest your brain. You know, I'm really proud. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm really proud of all the accomplishments, um, you know, and and the goals that the boys achieved while they were playing sports. But I'll, I'll have to tell you our journey um, and the path that occurred never crossed my mind. And that's still kind of a struggle to understand
0: why, Zach? Right? So in the book, uh, love Zach, And again, this is by Reed Forgrave, and I'll link to it in the show notes. I'm guessing a lot of people listening have not read this book. I really enjoyed it. I thought it, you know, was, a great way to honor your son's life, but also just a very interesting book about the culture of sports and football and masculinity. And um, because, you know, I'm from Iowa and you're from Iowa, there's also that connection of, I know the places you're talking about in this book, but um, one of the things that I found most touching about the book was, you know, that you volunteered up some of Zach's diary entries. And, you know, I think that's something that he really wanted, he wanted people to understand what he was going through. And um, there is a passage where he says, some days, I don't know who I am anymore. I just wish I could be my old self and understand what's going on. And for me, that really humanized the story. And it was less about Zach, the football player who, you know, and he was very talented. He, you know, when he was playing football, it sounds like he was very talented. And then when he went on into the army reserves, he was very, very, um, sharp and talented there too. But when that passage about, you know, I don't know who I am anymore and I just wish I could be my old self. It just really humanized the story for me. Uh, animated about Zach as a person versus Zach, the football player. So, you know, again, thank you for allowing his diary entries to be in this book, because I think that that makes a big difference in understanding this story. Um, he was a person, he was a son, he had a girlfriend, he was a brother, You know, he had many roles in life outside of that football role, but his head injuries as a result of football affected all of his relationships in his life. And let's just, I want to educate our listeners on chronic traumatic encephalopathy, just for people who might not know, it's commonly abbreviated as CTE and it's brain degeneration caused by head trauma. Um, and symptoms can include memory loss, confusion, impaired judgment, some impulse control problems, aggression, depression, anxiety, uh, you know, suicide attempts or completed suicide. Um, and it can progress into dementia. And one thing I found very interesting in the book, Brenda, is that the average life expectancy for someone with CTE is 51 years. Yeah. And the average life expectancy of an NFL football player is anywhere from 53 to 59 years. And to put that in perspective on average across America right now, the life expectancy is 76 years old for, for most individuals. Uh, And Zach was 24 when he passed away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was, you know um, it might be helpful if I share a little bit about, about Zach's journey, because I think this will resonate with families um, more than they care to, to understand, but it's important. It's important that they understand the decisions that they're making today can have a negative impact in the futures of their children. And let me just start by saying Zach started playing football when he was in third grade, he got his first concussion in fifth grade. Okay. And when he was in sixth grade, we had a full year of CAT scans and MRIs and a lot of difficulty in school. His, his whole behavior had changed. Um, he had suffered from headaches, sensitivity to light, A lot of the symptoms that you talked about, it just didn't feel good. We also saw a huge change in his behavior, spending a lot of time, quite frank, in the principal's office, Uh which, you know, as a parent, I'm like, what is going on here? And granted, you know, he's rolling into middle school. Is it just middle school or something else? Um, You know, he continued to play um, football and wrestle in middle school, but, you know, with all of that going on, we saw countless doctors had CAT scans, MRIs. Um, they just told us that his headaches were because of his hormones. And not once did a medical professional acknowledge the fact that he could, some of these could be a result of maybe having the concussions or the multiple hits to his head. Right. So, you know, his senior year um, in high school, cause he continued to play, he was, um, and he had concussion all along the way. He had stingers, he had other sports related inju- injuries. Um, but, you know, he he was knocked out during a football camp. And it was so severe he couldn't play the rest of his uh, or start the season of his senior year. And um the obviously the the concussion protocol back then, Um, He was returned after a couple of games. And, and during the first game that he was put back in, he was knocked out again. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He could barely get off the field. He was done for the year. and, And that also he was done for, you know, his, his brain injury was so severe that he was done not with only for football, but also with wrestling
0: Right. And, and then, then uh, and it eliminated any opportunity for him to play collegiate football, like his older. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And then not only that, we started seeing some of these other changes. And I think this is where parents listen very carefully. We saw him start to struggle in school. He always had severe headaches, sensitivity, delight, nausea. He socially withdrew from his friends. Like you said, broke up with his girlfriend. He avoided any large gatherings. Mm-hmm. This is a young man who is very popular, lots of friends enjoyed being with his friends to not
0: really caring if he left the house. Right. So, significant changes in personality and social sense. interaction. I yeah. think that's one of your key,
1: the keys um, from a parent's perspective to really start paying attention and taking a deeper dive, especially if you're your son or daughter's played sports and you know that they've had a mild traumatic brain injury. I want to say that again, a mild traumatic brain injury is the same as a concussion. Nobody mentioned that to us when our children played
0: sports. Right. And just I the, watching, was- you know, a a concussion sounds a little more benign than a mild traumatic brain injury, but it is yes. the same thing.
1: <laughs> it's, it is um, the same and it needs to be treated as a mild traumatic brain injury and not just a concussion. So what's interesting, Gra- Zach graduated um, high school barely with a 2.0 grade point average. Um, and you know, that was a direct result of his struggles. And he, he didn't really he didn't really know what he wanted to do. He had planned on going to join the army and wanted to be a part of the special forces, which as you know you talked about, he did. But because of his GPA, we talked Zach into continuing his path into um, starting community college after he graduated. But one semester in, he decided he wanted to further pursue his his um, pursuit for in the special forces. So he joined the Iowa National Guard, and then after basic training, you know, once Zach decided what he wanted to do, he excelled and and he he went all in. Yeah. So. He was soldier of the year he was named soldier of the year and he was also offered a special several special force army ranger contracts which you know thinking back i'm hindsight i'm glad he didn't he wasn't able to pursue because i i'm really not certain what would have happened there right um here's the difference zach was wise beyond his age um he took it upon himself to you know after hiding and masking all of these feelings, as he's mentioned in his journals, as you've mentioned in his journals, um, he he hid everything from, because he didn't understand what was going on. He kept the journals cause he knew that there'd be other people like him, other children, young men and women playing sports that would go through the same thing and really didn't, wouldn't understand. He was wise, I'm telling you beyond his, his age. He realized in high school that he was experiencing the symptoms that that it, it changed his ability to function as a normal student, and although he couldn't understand what was going on, he did everything he could to try to move forward in his life. I mean, this young man was motivated. He didn't want to cave or 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 to um, show any weakness because he really couldn't continue to do all the things well. He just kept at it. So. Regardless of regardless of um, how he felt, he kept going forward. He attended the, uh, um, a community college, transferred to Grandview University, believe it or not, graduated with just under a 4.0 grade point average, which was amazing. Yeah. And, and regardless of all the social and mental challenges that he was going through. Also, like I said, named soldier of the year, he received all kinds of special honors while he was in the National Guard. Um, and I think they too were as shocked as we were when we lost him.
0: Yeah. Now, I think so a we, lot of our listeners don't know that CTE can only be diagnosed upon death. And that is so true. could you explain that a little bit? Um, why yeah. that, that particular disease cannot be diagnosed when someone is alive.
1: Yeah. Um, which, which is really an interesting story. So, um, well, they people may show the early symptoms where they may have some of the cognitive issues, memory loss, slurred speech, blurred vision, balance issues. Um, Zach had uh, brain seizures, um, the the uh, emotional um, regulation issues, all those things where people may be experiencing those. They're not being treated necessarily uh, because of their brain injury. They're being treated because of some of the other mental health issues. Um, Uh, aspects, right, Um, that come along with the disease. And so CTE, interestingly enough, was founded by Dr. Bennett Omalu. And um, in 2008, um, he released a paper um, identifying the issues of um, CTE and chronic traumatic encephalopathy in athletes. Unfortunately, the NFL um, silenced him due to a um, with a lawsuit. And so um, it took really until after Zach's death, when there was a movie called confession that was released. And um, it was about Dr. Bennet O'Malo's findings about CTE and that you can only identify or diagnose CTE after death. And so we had Zach's brain sent to Dr. Amalo who graciously accepted his brain and did who did the autopsy and obviously confirmed exactly what Zach already knew is that yeah. he had CTE um, and but what was really interesting about that is when I was talking to him he um we were talking about sending his brain and we were making all the arrangements for him to receive it he was working at a lab in California at the time And he said, Brenda, I just want to let you know, um, I'm taking my family. We have to leave the country because I'm getting death threats. Oh, wow. Because of the movie, you know, that's how, how important, um, I think football is to society.
0: Yeah. And and that's something that I really enjoyed. The author of this book really kind of brought into attention is that, you know, we are kind of a football obsessed culture here in america and people don't want lighter play they don't want to see the sport change even though we are losing people and yeah and that yeah that is frustrating to me there was um a couple of things in the book that i thought were interesting in 1905 the chicago tribune cited the death harvest of football because between 1900 and 1905, 45 players had died nationwide due to football related injuries. And of course, a century ago, we certainly don't have the technology or the healthcare, you know, I get it. A lot has changed since the early 1900s. Um, But at the same time, it wasn't until 2015 that there was the first kind of medical symposium on CTE. And so we know that there are dangers involved and and you can get a traumatic brain injury outside of the game of football. You can get it with other sports. You can have one from a car accident, from a fall, from, you know, getting hit in the face. So it's not just football, but I think because football is such a common sport for you know, Americans to, to participate in, um, the chances of you getting one through that sport are going to be greater than some of those other avenues and, and other sports that may be contact sports, but just less aggressive sports. So, you know, that that's so true. Um, you might find it interesting that the number
1: one, one cause of concussion is falls. Yeah. You know, people falling off their bike, um, elderly people falling, you know, I mean, it's, it's a common thing. I mean, I fell at the playground <laughs> right. um, watching my grandson. Do you and think got a
0: think, <laughs> um, do you think though, that because with football, it's repetitive practice and competition, like, hopefully you're only going to fall that one time at the playground with your grandson, I yeah. hope. Right. Or that hopefully someone only falls down the stairs once. But if you're engaging in a sport like football, where you are going to be, you know, at, at greater risk for the number of incidents, but, but you're right. I mean, it can happen any, anywhere. Um, you know, we're not immune to this if we're not football players. So.
1: No, you're exactly right. And, and you might find this quite interesting. Um, there's more and more research being done. And um, many of them are coming from like the, you know, the, the hockey leagues and, and some of the um, rugby leagues and things like that. And what they're finding is that it's not necessarily just the concussions what people should be more concerned about are the repetitive hits to the brain right and um it has been recognized by many sports um associations that it's the repetitive hits that are more concerning than just the concussions i think what happens is because of the repetitive hits to the brain concussions can be more severe for some than others, because what's important after a concussion is to heal or rest the brain, which, you know, hasn't happened over time. Yeah.
0: So let's segue into that because I think it's important that we talk about prevention and, you know, I'm especially curious to know, you mentioned you have a grandson. How old is your grandson? He just turned two. Oh, that's such a fun age. So I'm curious to know kind of how your sons and, um, you know, has been view, you know, your grandson engaging with football as he gets older, but also just like to educate our listeners. What are some of the things that we can do safety precaution wise um, to prevent concussions? But also if you've had one, what are some of the things you can do to take care of yourself?
1: Well, I think it's important for people to realize that, that, you know, since we lost Zach and I think Zach's powerful story and his words have prompted a lot of the movement in this in, in, in the right way. Um, The return to play and learn protocols, they've gotten better. Um, You know, they're working hard to teach better tackling techniques and to, you know, improve helmets and other protective gear. Unfortunately, it's not going to be enough. Um, people need to understand a concussion is just not a concussion; it's a mild traumatic brain injury, right? And that alone should scare people. I don't mean scare people to the point where oh gosh, I can't, I can't even get outside and walk anymore because I might fall. No, right. what 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 I'm saying is it should cause people to have enough concern to pay attention to what's going on in their lives and what their kids are doing um, and some of the consequences that might occur while they are playing those sports. Right. Yeah. Um, Even with the changes that they're trying to make to make contact sports safer for our athletes, we're not there yet until we can measure the bad proteins that cause the inflammation in our brains when we get a concussion or a mild traumatic brain injury and which can cause our long-term effects, potentially CTE, we
0: aren't really going to be able to protect our athletes. And right now they cannot measure the proteins in the brain while someone- Right, is- na- right now, we there hasn't been enough research
1: to okay. to do that. And our, our foundation had actually started in that path. And I can talk about that a, a little bit here later. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we lost our beloved son to to a sport that he loved, that, frankly, our family was integrated with for so many years. Yeah, while he loved the sport. He knew that everything that happened to him was because of the repetitive hits to his head and the concussions. And one of his last wishes was for his family and friends to find a way to make football a safer sport. So until we do that, and knowing what... You know, we know today and until we can make sports safer, our grandchildren have no reason to play. Right. Right. You know, their lives mean more to me than the sport. Right. And that's what I challenge each parent today. Is the sport more important to you
0: than your child? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And I, I just want to mention in the book, you know, the athletic trainer, Sue Wilson, who actually I worked with at Drake very briefly. She was an athletic trainer uh, in the Drake athletics department. I think it might've been after Zach graduated from high school though. Um, But I remember Sue and I was, I was really upset in, in the book where, you know, she was sharing how her authority and her expertise was being questioned by, you know, the coach, the the fans, other parents, the athletic director. And I just think um, we need to respect people who have information about keeping our kids safe when they're playing sports and athletic trainers have that information. Right. And so when, when an athletic trainer takes a helmet away, it's because they're concerned and they have a reason to believe that it's not safe for that, that child, you know, or that young adult to go back on the field. And so, I'm just curious, was there, when Zach would get his helmet taken away, because it sounds like he knew what was going on, but he still loved football, when he would get his helmet taken away, did he feel like it wasn't that big of a deal and he should just go back in? Or was he like, yep, yeah, you know, this this is what's going on? I mean, I just would imagine there was kind of a war within him.
1: Yeah, I think, to be honest, he had regrets. Um, So I I guess, first of all, when Zach played football, we really didn't have all of the information that we have today. And so from from a coach's perspective, I mean, heck, even the medical professionals were not um, treating a concussion um, seriously enough in my mind. And now I know more. I know they weren't, but, you know, you only have, you can only go off of the information that you have. I do think you have to respect um, everyone, whether it's the athletic trainer or a medical professional. I think parents are the best advocates for their children, right? right? Absolutely. So if they believe that today's protocols are not adequate, or if they believe they see m- more symptoms and issues with their child, then they have to make the decision and press the but- the stop button. Right. They just can't allow their child to continue to play until that child is back to where they believe they should be. Right. And, I, I you know, I can guarantee you that if we would have had the information that I know today, back then, there is no way that Zach would have touched the field again. No way. So parents today are going to have to make a choice. And let me tell you, this is a true story. It wasn't long after I lost Zach. And it was after the GQ um, story video went out about Zach. And I had a young man reached out through private message me through Facebook and he was 16 years old and he just was, you know, you know, pouring out his heartfelt, um, you know, regrets for Zach and, in, you know, he, sorry that I lost my son. And then he started asking me all kinds of very interesting questions. And I, I, kept responding and asking him back questions. And in the end, to make the story short, he had had, and this is a young man who was 16 years old. He had already had eight concussions. Oh, wow. And he didn't think he should continue to play football, but he was scared to death of his parents. And he asked me if I would talk to his dad because he knew that he shouldn't continue to play. But his parents had a, a, a bigger picture and a dream of him playing college football and potentially NFL. This is a 16 year old, he was six foot five, you know, big, big young man. Um, he may or may not have had a col- you know college and or NFL career. So I sent him a text message back and said, if you would like for me to talk to your dad, please have him call me. If he's willing to talk to me, I'd love to visit with him. And I thought for sure that'd probably be the end of it. And he sent me a message back and said, my dad said he could talk to you at this day around this time. Is that work for you? Oh, wow. And I said, absolutely. So I had I had a heart to heart with his dad who was, he's like, listen, this boy is this big and this tall. And, you know, you you know, he, he has a really good shot at playing, you know, division one football and, and you never know NFL. And I just said, well, you have some choices to make. I said, I think your son's life is much more important than that. Your son is, is telling you that he knows he needs to stop. And it should be his choice to stop. And I said, you need to have a conversation with your son and your wife. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm really excited to report that the the family agreed and he stopped. Yeah. Because I I, I guarantee you, he was already having some of the um, symptoms that Zach talked about and he knew it. So the good news is, um, there is good information out there today and there are going to be some times and some families who are going to have to make some difficult decisions. Right. And all I can do is pray that they make the decision that's best for their son or daughter.
0: So Brenda, this episode is our mental health awareness month episode. And Zach's mental health was obviously greatly affected by his, uh, multiple concussions and head injuries. And I'm curious to know, there are a lot of critics out there and a lot of people who love football and don't want to see the sport change or certainly don't want to see it go away. Uh, What do you say to the critics? What do you say to the people that maybe don't buy what you're selling? You know, it it took me a while um,
1: because again, because of the Easter background. Um, But so I can understand where they're coming from. But I think until you lose a child or a loved one, you know, from a sport like football, you really can't understand the risks, you know, because it hasn't happened to you yet. But I can tell you that many of those critics have never played the sport of football or any other sport for that matter. And some that have played the sport choose to kind of overlook the negative aspects some of them may may even encounter some of the um you know, the symptoms, the anxiety, depression that come along with with some of the long-term consequences. but they choose to ignore them, right?
0: Right? Um,
1: and I think I think it's also true that you know today we can't ignore, especially as a parent, um, what the long-term risks are. And a lot of those long-term risks are not necessarily going to lead to CTE. Not every football player lands or ends with chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We don't really know why. I think more research probably needs to be done, but a significant number do. And so, you know, what we know today is, is that traumatic brain injuries are becoming a major concern across the country, as it should be, and including the state of Iowa. And while traumatic brain injuries account for just about uh, a little over 600 deaths um, a year, there's many more suicides that happen that haven't been connected to brain injury, but truly are. And I know that because I've been contacted by people around the world. Um, There's also a growing concern that there's a direct correlation between mental health and mild traumatic brain injury. And I think this is another true tell uh, things that parents need to think about while they're making decisions for their children. So I'm gonna share with you a little some some statistics that yes, I found. Go for and it. Recent studies that are happening because um, I've decided I become the geeky girl. And <laughs> I think I think the data matter. So here it is. Um There was a recent study by the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario Research Institute that said that 40% of individuals, and these were children um, between the ages of two and 18, 40% of these individuals with one acquired mild traumatic brain injury had some sort of long-term mental health issue. Oh, wow. You might also find it interesting in some other studies, an estimated 90,000 Iowans live with long-term disability due to brain injury.
0: 90,000 Iowans? Correct.
1: 72% of individuals in dual treatment for substance use or disorder and severe mental illness report a history of at least one mild traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. AKA concussion. Right. Okay. 63% of children who sustained severe TBI developed a new psychiatric disorder within two years post-injury. Now, what we have to realize about CTE is it starts from a mild traumatic brain injury and evolves into moderate, then severe brain injury because it's a degenerative disease, right? okay? I think you're probably understanding a little bit more of why I'm so concerned.
0: Well, yeah, and it just helps connect the dots because I think a lot of people are becoming more aware of mental health issues and the prevalence of mental health conditions and diagnoses, but I still don't think people are maybe connecting the dots between things that maybe have happened as a result of a concussion and the outcome being anxiety, depression, um, you know, difficulty concentrating, substance use, misuse, abuse.
1: Yeah. And I think the other part of it is, you know, because they're, they're being treated um, for the mental health condition, they're, they're, and, and most of these hadn't reported having had a traumatic brain injury. They're getting, they're only getting treated for the, the, the band-aid is being put on with, by treating the mental health um co- uh, condition but they're not treating the brain injury
0: right
1: there's where it gets really interesting and now i think what complicates this a little bit more is that there's an increasing number of individuals who have had a mild traumatic brain injury or a concussion and they've never reported it they've never sought medical care but yet are seeing the long-term consequences mm-hmm. so a lot of these studies are not including millions of people who probably have had a concussion and are now seeing some of the long-term consequences with some of the mental health issues. Um, I think that we also have to remember that, you know, survivors of brain injury are are a lot, you know, a lot of them are collision sports, but, you know, some of them have acquired their, their brain injuries through domestic violence mm-hmm. and falls, car accidents. There's a, there's a ton of other other. A lot obviously. of veterans, a lot of veterans experience TBIs. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I think I think a lot of them are being treated for their mental health conditions and addictions and and some of their other disabilities, but they're not getting treated for the brain injury. And the yeah. brain injury is the root cause yeah. of the mental health. And I think that's what's happening in society. Today. I think. We have a greater number of people who, you know, are, are seriously struggling with mental health issues that have stemmed from a mild traumatic brain injury. And I want people to understand that, you know, just because we see somebody who's, you know, maybe, um, homeless or is, you know, receiving assistance through the food pantries, it, we shouldn't just cast the stone of oh they they just don't want to work right there's a high likelihood here that these individuals can't work because of mild traumatic brain injuries and the long-term consequences and so you know there's some good news you know um you know we since we're more aware of all of this you know we we've got some things in play um through some of our work through the foundation which we'll talk about here in a minute um and some of my other work to to try to really um Put all of this into perspective and to connect the dots between mental health um, and addiction and some of the other things that are happening with brain injury.
0: Yeah, thank you for you know that reminder. And it it is so true that you can't judge why people find themselves in the circumstances they're in because you just don't know what led them there. And in the book, I remember a passage about when Zach did get a full-time job after he graduated from Grandview how difficult it was for him to be able to focus and he was doing sales. I think it was and how hard for him it was to just have a conversation with a potential client or customer. He had to kind of read from a script, whereas I think he was working maybe with his brother and, and everyone else seemed to just be able to have that conversation, but he really needed a lot more assistance. And so, you know, the disease was debilitating in all aspects of his life. And I just think it's so important for people to remember that when someone has mental illness, it's going to affect every, every aspect of their life.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when it, when it really escalated for Zach is, is when they, you know, which is really hard to remember, but it's the truth. You know, we had sought countless medical doctors. We did more more MRIs, CAT scans and tests that, you know, before you can even imagine, Um, you know, because again, we didn't really know a lot about um, CTE at at the time he was seeking medical help. But, um, you know, they had him on uh, uppers and downers at the same time, which were making the brain injury worse, which escalated the disease. Um, you know there there's a lot of things that they've learned. Well, obviously. and I think that's
0: a great example of they were treating his mental health, but they weren't treating his brain
1: disease. That is exactly what happened, and he knew it, you know, And it wasn't until finally we found one doctor who was a military doctor. And as like you said, there's a great deal of prominence um in the military with with um, brain injury. And um, you know, he's the first one that said, you know, you know Zach may be suffering from the early stages of chronic traumatic encephalopathy or cte and i was just stunned right you know my heart just sank because you know at that time we had done some research and we knew that there was and today there's no cure and there's no treatment so you know it's it's a it's a scary disease to have um and it's taking young lives now sooner much more faster. Um, these people that are suffering from the consequences of CTE aren't making it to 53 anymore. Right. Many of them are taking their lives much sooner because they just simply don't understand what's going on. And they, and, and they just know, you know, it's, it's, there's no, there's no way out for them.
0: Yeah. So through all your experiences with Zach and, you know, the unfortunate way that his life ended, you've founded CTE Hope. Can you tell us more about that and how we can maybe be involved? You bet.
1: Um, Our family partnered with some, you know, very talented individuals and started a foundation called CTE Hope to honor Zach's last wishes. And he knew at this very young age that there would be more people who would be suffering like him. and, And there are. Across the country because I've been contacted by many of them. Um, You know, you might also remember just recently here in the Des Moines area, there was a young man who had graduated from Valley High School, um, who was in a standoff and a shootout with Des Moines police. And it was later determined that this young man also had CTE. So, the emotional side of this, the anger, the outrage that, that these individuals show society, you know, is becoming more prominent. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, every time I hear of, you know, things that are happening around the area, um, some of the violence and and when you look into some of those people's backgrounds, you start wondering, "Hmm, I wonder if they had a traumatic brain injury and have just not been treated. Um, So through the foundation, um, we've worked um, and used basically Zach's journals um, to focus on early detection, which is, um, you know, our goal is to support research for sideline testing. Um, I had mentioned that, you know, until we can figure out how to measure, um, I call them the bad proteins um that are causing the inflammation in the brain until we can determine when it's safe, you know, physiologically for an athlete to return if they, you know, happen to um, get a concussion. I just think it's gonna be very difficult for, for, um, for athletes and parents, you know, to continue playing sports when the risks become more and more. Our, our, our athletes are much faster, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, right? Right. And that's the goal of the sport. And early detection has got to be part of the equation in our return to play um, protocols. And I will tell you, our foundation did start a research project um, and what we did find uh, we used saliva testing <laughs> and uh, we worked with athletes across the state um, and we took a baseline testing of their saliva. Um, and then if there was an incident of, um, concussion, we went back and took additional saliva samples, and then we followed that athlete um, for 90 days uh, to see, you know, if we could measure the uh, protein levels in the brain. And ironically, we did. And through the study, um, and because it was a study, we don't, you know, keep any personal data on the athletes. We just knew um, if, you know, the sport, And that was just about it, but we did. um, And there's three, three on one particular team. um, And we didn't even keep the names of the teams, but there were three particular athletes that we found quite interesting. There were three young men who had encountered concussions. The first one um, he based on his baseline testing and then the additional saliva tests that we took throughout his healing period we determined that his um, the inflammation had subsided enough so that he was back to his baseline in two weeks. Okay. So the the magnitude of his concussion did resolve in two weeks, and it appeared that you know he had no more symptoms, and the the protein levels in his brain had gone back to his normal. The second athlete um, took four weeks. It was um, he was symptom-free after two, but the protein levels in his brain didn't drop to back to normal until after four weeks. The third athlete, it took
0: six weeks. Oh, wow. And as you're saying Before. this, I'm thinking about how these players are going back within 24 to 48 hours and there's no way they're recovered or healed. Correct. Yeah.
1: Correct. So we know that you know whether it's saliva, maybe there's a faster, better way to to capture the same information. But we believe um, that until we can get some sort of testing like that into play and into the protocols, we're really never going to be able to protect our athletes. And do I think it can can happen? I absolutely 100% do believe that. But it's going to take more research. It's going to take you know a lot of a lot more time, right? Um, and frankly, we don't have time because we've got, you know, we're losing young, young, our youth, young men and women today all the time. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of it is due to CTE. Um, the other parts of um, our work include um, education and awareness. Obviously, these are the kinds of things that, you know, we'd like to do to help, sh- you know, share the story of Zach and to share our journey and to help them realize they have information today that we didn't have back then because they need to make better decisions. They may have to be the bad guy in their child's life
0: mm-hmm. to
1: save it because we don't know who the next Zach is going to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, we also focus on um, let, you know legislative um, work. So part of the work that I do um is, um, you know, try to um, advocate for, you know, the safety of our athletes. And, and I think that um, we're doing a better job with that. We're advocating for um, contact sports to not begin until the age of 14. Um, our young people's brains don't actually mature until 21 age of 21. So what we're seeing is a lot of the damage that's happening, and I shared some of the data with you, a lot of the ha- damage is happening when they're young. Right. Um, and, you know, we it's not like we can see the insides of our brain, you know, when it's, you know, bruised or injured, you know, um, we can't even really see it with a CAT scan right now or an MRI. Um, you know, they are trying to come up with more research on you know, some, uh, equipment that will do a better job. And I think that, you know, they're getting close to that, but in the end, not, not the entire population is not going to have access to that. So, you know, we can't see that. So we, we really need to rely on symptoms and, um, you know, being your own advocate to, to stop, you know,
0: playing until you you feel better. So that's great. I'm so, uh, you know, excited that you started this foundation in memory of your son and to help educate others and, uh, how can people get involved in CTE Hope? Well, first of all,
1: um, CTE Hope is all volunteer based, and so you know if if you have an interest in um, in the world of traumatic brain injury and concussion, um, if you have expertise we would love to have you on our team. If you have talents that you would love to donate, um, that, you know, when we do some of our fundraising and things like that, we would love to have you on board. Um, Obviously, people can donate to CTE Hope as a nonprofit. um, Every dollar that we receive goes either into our research or the education and awareness that we're doing across the country um, to help people recognize the potential long-term risks. You know, if you are a person who um, has connections either in the research world or um, in other arenas where that could help us, um, you know, advance our mission, we could use you. And frankly, anybody who's willing to give us some time, you know, we there's always work at a nonprofit foundation um, that, you know, needs done. um, And it, it takes, people's time to make it happen. So if you'd like to join us, go to ctehope.org.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story, your son, Zach's story. uh, And of course your time with me today and, you know, with the people listening, I think that it is so important to keep in mind that mental health issues sometimes come from traumatic brain injuries, otherwise known as concussions. And uh, that we don't want people going through this if they don't have to be going through this. And so prevention is key and awareness is key. So thank you so much for your time. And like I said, we will definitely direct people back to uh, CTE Hope. I would like to also link to the book, Love Zach by Reed Foregrave. I highly recommend it. Uh, It was a book that I got through within a couple of days. I just couldn't put it down. I really enjoyed how the author weaved Um, kind of the history of football and culture around football and masculinity alongside chronic traumatic encephalopathy and of course Zach's story and then there was that short video that GQ produced uh, a few years ago and I watched that as well and I'd like to link to that because I think for some people who may not want to read the book or who may not have the time to read the book you know the 10 minute video um, that GQ did is, is really really well. So thank you so much, and we will stay in touch. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunlavy and produced by Emily Wancom.